Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, we're going to continue our series on the property core skills, and we're back to content week this week. So we're alternating between a content week and a discussion week. So uh, last last couple of weeks, we had content week, week rather around finding deals, and then we had a discussion panel uh, last week talking about finding deals, funnily enough. So this week, we're going to share some content around the uh, finding funds. And then next week, we'll have a panel discussion on the same topic. So you're kind of getting the gist of, of the format for this particular series now. So it's just me this week. And then we'll be joined by, uh, hopefully, a couple of friends um, for the next week panel discussion. And if you'd like to get involved, by the way, uh, there is an opportunity to get involved um, in various points in the series. There will be some people who are joining, friends of TPV, people I'm connected to, as well as within the TPV, i.e. the Property Voice family. So um, finding funds then, what can I tell you? Um, you know there's a film, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, I think it is. Uh, I think that's right, isn't it? Or is it a song? I can't remember. Um, uh, 50, I think it's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Um, well, I've written the book, 50 Ways to Find Funds. <laughs> it's not actually called that. It's called The Complete Guide to Property Finance, but the subtitle involves a reference to how many different types of funding there are actually available. And I was actually really surprised myself. I thought it was about 30 I'd got to on the list, and I actually counted them, and I got over 50 different types of uh, financing. So there's a bit of a marker for you. The, my forthcoming book is going to be released hopefully next month, all being well. It's, it's in the final stages of production with uh, copy setting and book covers um, and, uh, and some proofreading. And that'll be released shortly. So you'll get the full lowdown on every single one of those um, 53, I think it is, 53, 54 different types of uh, financing and uh, in the book. So a bit of a teaser for you. But I'm going to sort of give you a little bit of an insight and a snapshot into some of that uh, today. So in my world, or in my book, so to speak, with finance, uh, property finance, it really breaks down into three main sections. So we have institutional finance, alternative finance, and creative finance. Now, institutional finance is pretty much what most people would think of immediately. If I say, name me some property finance, and they go, buy to let mortgage, or bridging finance, something like that. That's an These are examples of institutional finance. But I've got another sort of eight or ten sort of variations on the theme that are in the book uh, in that particular category. And then the second category is alternative finance. Now, alternative finance is finding finance through alternative means. And so that's things like uh, raising it yourself, it's peer-to-peer -peer lending, crowdfunding, uh, it could be grants, it could be soft, soft loans, it could be private finance. So it still looks and feels like finance. What's really different is where you get it from or how you get it. So you're not going to get it from a mainstream uh, bank or a high street bank. You, you're going to get it somewhere else. So that's why it's called alternative finance. It kind of looks and feels like finance, but it just comes from a different place. And then the third category is creative finance. 
Now, creative finance might not even look like finance at all in some respects, because in, in, in my world, creative finance is achieving similar aims as financing. And for me, financing is basically achieving either payment over time or a financial contribution to your property investment. So that's my definition of finance, property finance. And within the realm of creative finance, we can have contractual structures such as option agreements, delayed completion, um, assisted sale, rent to rent, those sorts of things, which are examples of contractual structures which achieve the ends of deferring payments, uh, spreading them over time or getting some kind of contribution um, or even control of an asset without actually you know, having to pay for it. So that's, that's the context of uh, the three different types of finance. So that's one of the, the concepts I want to get over today. There's a couple more on my little list. The, um, the other one is the concept of what I call the funding stack. So uh, imagine a pyramid um, in three sections, the base, the middle, and the top. And you've got that in your mind's eye. So I'm going to be co covering the funding stack. And, and in the funding stack, what you have at the bottom of the pyramid is what I call acquisition finance. So that's, that's paying for a property. And often using finance, you're not, you don't usually, you don't manage to raise all of the money. Sometimes you have to pay all in cash. And then if you want to use a, a buy-to-let mortgage, for example, you might get typically 70, 75%, sometimes a little bit more, depends on the condition, market conditions, et cetera, uh, of the purchase price of the property. And that's you know, pretty much acquisition finance. And there's a couple of variations on that. Bridging finance is classically used for short-term you know, projects. Uh, Buy-to-let mortgages and commercial loans are usually uh, for longer-term uh, ownership of properties, property assets. Um, but it's in this, in this realm of acquisition finance. A lot of people know about these things already. Already one or two of you probably got getting shivers down your spine as I'm talking about bridging finance. <laughs> but it's, it's perfect for the right uh, project, um, trust me. And then in the, I'm going to go straight to the top. So the top of the pyramid, right at the top there, we have basically equity. And equity is, um, is our own cash, um, essentially. Uh, in fact, hold that thought, because it doesn't always have to be our own cash. But it's cash. It's cash in the, in the deal. Or as some people call it skin in the game. And um, I'll come back to what sort of proportion you might need in a second, but that's, that's usually. So sometimes you have a pyramid which doesn't have the middle section, which I'm going to explain in a second. So you just have the top and the bottom. So you have acquisition finance, and then you have your own cash. And your own cash is typically the deposit, and the acquisition finance is typically something like a buy-to-let mortgage or bridging finance, for example. And so, uh, and let me just focus on that as an example. Let's say you have a 75% loan-to-value um, buy-select mortgage. That's the acquisition finance, and therefore 25% of that uh, purchase price comes in your own funds. And that's that's classically how you know finance is thought of in uh, in property. But as I mentioned, there's over 50 ways in which you can finance your property acquisitions. And so I'm going to kind of dive into that a little bit without, you know, basically talking you through nearly 80,000 words, which is what the size of the book is. Um, there's quite a lot, in other words. So I'm trying to give you a headline, a flavor. Now, I've kind of set you up by thinking there's a middle section of this pyramid that is missing. And that middle section of the funding stack, this pyramid, is um, you could call it development finance. 
but you could also call it mezzanine finance. Now, if you're if you're kind of a fancy pants person, you might call it mezzanine, and that just means it sits in the middle. Um, uh, or you could, you know, more commonly, we might know this as development finance, which sits in the middle of acquisition finance and equity. That's what the middle section actually means. So it's something that kind of isn't 100% acquisition finance and isn't 100% equity either. It sits in the middle and it could be a bit fluid. And by definition, if we're thinking about development finance, then there's usually funding some of the development costs that we might have in a project. So you wouldn't typically have this middle section if you just wanted a buy-to-let property that you wanted to buy and hold you know, for several decades and not really do any work to it, just rent it out. I mean, actually, if you're going to own it over several decades, you will have to do some work to it, let's face it. But generally speaking, if you just want to buy an asset and rent it out, you're not, you haven't got a project. And so that middle section of the pyramid may or may not apply. But I do want to focus, before I move too far away from the funding stack, on you know, what I would call a game-changing um, realization in my own property investing journey. And there's been a couple, um, actually, but as far as financing is concerned, raising finance, the two main um, game changers were, one, to get finance higher up the funding stack, so higher up this pyramid that I'm talking about, moving away from purely acquisition finance into the realms of development finance and actually also into equity finance. And in fact, that brings me on to the second game changer, which is accessing private finance. So this is, um, if you remember what I said about institutional, alternative and creative finance, if you're accessing private finance, it looks and feels like finance, but it's just come from an alternative source. So that's alternative financing. So alternative financing through private finance and also moving higher up the funding stack um, beyond, say, a 75% loan-to-value mortgage on the purchase price of the property and moving into funding some of the development and the associated professional development costs and associated professional fees and also getting into some of the equity financing. And I've actually funded deals 100% without any of my own money. So when we're talking about the potential, um, the potential is 100% financing, okay? The potential is 100% financing. Um, often that's kind of, um, well, not often, sometimes that's not you know, achievable and you might need to put some of your own funds in. So what I typically talk about with people is the need to put in between uh, five, well, between zero, let's face it, between zero and maybe 25, 30% of a project value in your own cash terms. And that will, you know, along with development finance, or, or even if you're not undertaking a development project with acquisition finance, will get you into a deal. So you, you, you need cash, you often, not always, you need cash, but you don't necessarily need as much as you think. And that's really what's kind of elaborated on in some detail in, in the book. Uh, the Complete Guide to Property Finance. Have I plugged that enough already? I think I probably have. So um, we've got this notion of the funding stack. And the other thing I, I kind of just want to make clear, if it isn't clear enough already, is um, if you can imagine the funding stack um, splitting into two, and in, on one half, it's it, let's call them institutions um, providing the funding, um, then it's pr predominantly towards the bottom end of the funding stack of this pyramid. So acquisition finance and to some extent development finance up to a percentage 
of the um, loan to gross development cost or the project value, in other words, um, can come from institutions. And there's a, there's a range of different institutions, range of different places you can get that kind of funding. And, you know, really, we're in the realms of uh, finding a good broker to give you access to those types of funding solutions. But it's fairly mainstream. It's, it's called institutional finance reason. Uh, it's traditional finance in, in another language, if you like, or another term. So that's the left hand side of this uh, particular pyramid. On the right-hand side, I mean, I'm looking at my own diagram here, so I'm trying to describe it to you. I've got an arrow going from top to bottom. And in that uh, arrow box, I've got the word private finance uh, written. So in other words, you can access private finance at any point of the funding stack, whether it's acquisition finance, whether it's development finance, or whether it's equity finance. So usually at the bottom, uh, development finance and acquisition finance is usually debt, borrowing, in other words, and usually towards the top, equity or, you know, um, cash, in, in other words. So, but just hold that thought that if you want to get higher up the funding stack, you need to have access to alternative uh, sources of funds, um, and whether that's uh, alternative through institutions, which will get you so far, or alternative channels, people, mediums, etc., uh, private financing, which can can actually get you all the way up the funding stack. And I had a conversation uh, with somebody uh, fairly recently, and I actually said to them, you know, what sort of funds have you got available to invest right now? It doesn't really matter what they said, what their answer was. But I, I asked them the follow-up question, what sort of, let's say, let's say they said um, £200,000, right? Just pick a figure. £200,000 is the funds I've got to invest right now. And then I asked the follow-up question, well, what is the purchasing power of that £200,000 to you? And, you know, once they kind of understood the concept that really, you know, they, well, they could buy something for 200000 or they could put it together with, say, a buy-to-let mortgage or bridging finance, and maybe they could sort of get up to, you know, close to a million, yeah? you know, something of that order, you know, perhaps a little bit less, maybe 800000 actually, let's get my maths correct. £800,000 would be the purchasing power, and £200,000 would be the deposit. Uh, £600,000 would classically be acquisition finance. Now, I'm ignoring costs and fees and associated bits and pieces like that. Actually, that dilutes your purchasing power, but I'm just trying to keep it simple. So they thought they had purchasing power of... Sorry, it was 800000 not a million, beg your pardon. So they thought they had purchasing power of 800000 with a £200,000 cash pot. And I said to them, well, what if actually that could be you know, 2 million? What if it could be, you know, 4 million? And they was like, well, how can that be? How, how is that even possible? And the reason it could be possible is by moving up the funding stack and actually providing less of your own funds, your own cash resources in the project, in the deal that you're looking at. And um, of course, classically, that says, well, how do I do that then? Well, you, you know, the, you read my book, basically. No, no, I'm plugging the book too much. Uh, I'll stop doing that. But you move, you move further up the funding stack. So you get access to things like development finance. You get access to things like private finance and, you know, some of the other 50 or so different uh, types of financing, institutional, alternative and creative, as I've mentioned. So you can actually increase your purchasing power by having a greater understanding, awareness, and access to different forms of financing. And that's the game changer. 
That is the game changer. By understanding what, what's available, by having access to it, and then being able to leverage it, capitalize it, and utilize it in your property business is how you can actually increase your purchasing power and, and buy assets which are more valuable or do more deals or do bigger deals. And that, in a nutshell, is what this episode is really about. Um, it's not really telling you how to get a buy-to-let mortgage. Um, you, there's lots of resources out there um, telling you how you can get a buy-to-let mortgage. There's lots of brokers out there who can help you get a buy-to-let mortgage. The game changer is moving up the funding stack. There we go. So now we we just dwelled on the funding stack. And while I'm talking about stacks, the other stack I want to talk about is another one I call the capital stack. So the funding stack is usually about debt and equity. It's, you know, what you understand by financing. But the capital stack um, are different types of capital that you can raise and leverage in your property business, one of which is financial capital. So that's what we've been talking about. Um, so financial capital could be coming from your own cash. It could be coming, coming from equity, whether that's your own equity or somebody else's equity. It could come from uh, debt or borrowing, um, usually from institutions or private investors. But that financial capital is only one of eight different types of capital. Now, I have talked about this topic before, so you might have come across it. And just so briefly, um, by having access to different types of capital, or leveraging different types of capital that you have, or growing different types of capital so that you can layer them one upon the other, we can actually grow our property businesses that way too. So I'm just gonna digress a little bit because some of these are not financial at all. I don't wanna go too far with it, but knowledge capital is another example. Okay, knowledge capital, what do you know? Um, you know planning rules is a great example of knowledge capital. If you know your way around the planning system, you can leverage and capitalize on your knowledge capital, or indeed somebody else's. It doesn't have to be yours. Social capital. If you've got a large following um, on social media or, an, or a network that you can access and leverage, that is valuable. It can bring additional resources, uh, additional capital to your business. And just quickly, the other ones are emotional, spiritual, so that's, that's things like empathy, and a great, uh, uh, you know, people skills, if you like, systems capital. Well, if you can make things work without you being there, because they're automated, for example, then that systems capital, you can do more with less. Human capital, you can leverage other people, whether it's their brain power, which would be utilizing their knowledge and capital, or their labor, you know, that you're actually utilizing their resources, their, their time. Um, and brand capital, so um, when you have a brand, it has a resonance, it attracts people, it has a value. And finally, natural capital. Natural capital is the hardest one for me to explain, but you know, essentially, you know, it's using things that are out there, natural resources, it could be land, could be solar, wind, etc. cetera, um, in, in our property businesses. So I just wanna to touch on the idea of the capital stack along with the, the finance stack, if you like. Um, that's, that's really important to understand. The next thing really that's important, I believe, is, is where do you go to access these types of finance? So I'm back on to the uh, talking about finding finance now. And, and really, we've got three main uh, funding channels or finance channels, if you like. So we've got, first of all, mortgage brokers, um, which many of you will be familiar with, but also mortgage brokers platforms. Sometimes there's, you know, there's a platform or two out there which, which serve the, the same purpose as a mortgage broker. It's just um, it's an electronic medium. 
So you've got mortgage brokers and platforms being number one. Then you've got specialist brokers and platforms. So apart from just, you know, putting in something into a search engine and going, find me the cheapest rate or speaking to a broker and go, what's the best buy to let deal for my property, uh, property? We can actually go to more specialist brokers and platforms. These are people like crowdfunders, people who raise bond, bond funding, people who can help you raise equity. Um, that's what I mean by specialists, specialist brokers, specialist platforms. So we're moving further into um, more complex areas and when we're talking about these specialists. And then the third channel that we can use is what I call being your own bank. So that's using our own um, resources, our connections, our network um, to access funding. And you know, particularly uh, private finance is what I'm talking about here. So be your own bank uh, or be your own broker, actually. Uh, not bring your own bottle. Um, <laughs> I've got BYOB written down here. So the, the, how do you access those channels? Um, how do you access finance, either through you know, traditional mortgage brokers and, and platforms, uh, specialist brokers and platforms, or being your own bank? And I talk quite a lot about being your own bank in the, um, I'm not going to say it again, but I do talk about that somewhere that you know. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing that's really important to talk about with, you know, um, that I, well, actually I wanted to talk about today was what I call financial engineering. So um, financial engineering is, is really putting different pieces of the financial pie together. So I've already spoken about the funding stack in this pyramid with acquisition finance, development finance, and equity finance, if you like. Well, financial engineering is piecing those pieces together so that you can actually layer them together and that's how actually you get further up the funding stack. So if you can layer some acquisition finance and on top of that some development finance and on top of that maybe some, let's use the term mezzanine, something in the middle, and also um, equity finance, you can move further up the funding stack. And so being a financial engineer, just like any engineer, is kind of putting different components together and making them work. So just wanted to introduce the concept today of financial engineering. How can you make a deal work? How can you structure the deal so that it, it, it actually you achieve more finance or you go further up the funding stack? So just, just sowing a seed for financial engineering. And um, the, the other concept I really wanted to make when we're talking about um, particularly private finance is that there's a number of trade-offs. And the three main trade-offs are risk, reward, and security. And it's a bit like, uh, what was the, there's a trade-off, isn't there, when you're talking about uh, buying, a, buying a service, that you can, ha you can have it cheap, you can have it fast, but you can't have quality. You know, you've got those three things, speed, um, price, and quality, and you can't have it all. There's always a trade-off. You've got to compromise somewhere. And so it is with uh, financing. Um, if, you want, um, if you want low risk, you're probably going to compromise on reward. Um, uh, and, and you, but you're going to get a lot, maybe you get a lot of security, but you get lower reward. If you want very high reward, you might have to compromise a little bit on security and or risk. So there's this tension, if you like, there's these trade-offs between reward, risk and security. And the, the important thing there is depending, it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on, whether you're, let's say, uh, a provider of, of finance or a, a um, you know, utilizer uh, of finance. So that could be debt, could be equity. Uh, borrowings uh, or cash, you know, um, provided to your property deals, is to understand your risk profile. 
and understand what your you know realistic expectations are and how much security is going to make you feel comfortable and there's a scale and you know it's just understanding where you sit on that scale um I, so many people i speak to i say well what do you, what's more important to you re reward risk or security and they'll say all of them <laughs> And um, it's actually not true, uh, or it's not even possible. You can't have all three. You can't max out on reward, risk, and security. It's just not realistic. So the follow-up question is, if you had to compromise on one, what would you compromise on? Or put it another way, which one can you not live with compromising on? So you, you either pick one that you don't want, or you pick one that you absolutely must have. But just want you to perform that mental exercise of uh, training off and working out what your risk profile is and uh, therefore understanding what rewards you want and knowing if you want high rewards you're normally going to have to trade off a degree of security or risk and, uh, and obviously vice versa. So we've got a couple of trade-offs that we need to consider as well. And then the final thing really in terms of concepts I wanted to share today is to have, um, have an idea, have a strategy, have a financing strategy and have a financing plan. And I talk to people about this uh, quite a lot. So if you're looking to um, grow, uh, if you're looking to buy your own property, you need a plan of how you're gonna raise the funds. So that would be your plan. Your strategy is to buy your first property, and then the plan would be how are you going to raise those funds, and that will form, probably break down into raising funds for deposit, and then borrowing the rest. That will probably be your plan in outline. But if you're already a little bit further along the journey and you have um, several properties or a portfolio of your own, then actually your strategy and your plan will become more complex. And it will become more complex because you'll need to refinance probably at various points along the way. You may also decide to you know, cash in your chips, so to speak, with some of those properties as you go. Uh, or you may repurpose them into something else. You may uh, renovate them and improve them as well. So it becomes a bit more complex in that sense. And the other dimension that really needs to come into it is your stage of maturity in terms of your property uh, journey, let's say that. So when you're starting out, you, you, know, you can be probably a little bit bullish in terms of, let's say, taking on leverage. Leverage means the amount of borrowing of the asset that you're, you're going to take on. But as you uh, mature, you might want to ease off a little bit on the amount of leverage and let the sort of average loan to value, the average debt as a percentage of your property or portfolio value to maybe slightly reduce over time um, as you mature and you stabilize your journey. And then towards the end, if you like, um, when you want a bit more security and you don't want too many high risks and the thoughts of the next property crash taking you out scares you, scares the living daylights out of you, you either want to, you want to deleverage and you want to be deleveraging that point in time. So there's kind of a, you know, in terms of leverage and using finance, there's kind of a, this sort of bell curve effect, if you like, you're scaling up, um, you kind of plateau and then you're scaling down terms of, uh, of your leveraging in, the, and, uh, in your portfolio. So your strategy and your plan needs to take account of where you are in your property journey and what you're looking to do and you know very much the time, the timeline that uh, you need to adopt there. So um, there we go. I probably wasn't going to share too much more. It was more of an introduction to the topic. I tell you what though, what I will say is this, I made a note of the um, 50 odd you know, types of private finance 
If you'd like it, just drop me a line, podcast at propertyvoice.net. You can have that with my pleasure. And um, you can then go away and just sort of reach, uh, research yourself, um, you know, what, what they're all about. Um, I'll, I'll share it with you. So just drop me a line and I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share that. It's a sort of quick, short, uh, you can't see that, can I? Quick, short cheat sheet. Well, that was uh, quite a sentence to say. But anyway, I'll share that with you with pleasure. Um, but hopefully you've got the points that there's different types of financing, be it institutional, alternative or creative. Um, the game changes are moving higher up the funding stack from the bottom, acquisition finance through development finance, sometimes called mezzanine finance, up to equity finance. So the higher up the funding stack you can access, the, the faster you can scale, the larger the projects are, the greater your purchasing power. And then if you can access private financing, you will probably you know, have all the funds that you need on the sort of win-win terms with a, a great finance partner or two to achieve everything you want to do in property. Make sure you look after their interests is the only thing I would say about that. And then uh, don't forget the capital stack, that there's more than money in terms of helping you to leverage and scale. And the, and the final two points were have a strategy and a plan that's appropriate for you, where you're at in your property journey and where you're headed and your risk profile. And don't forget the point of financial engineering. And financial engineering is being able to stitch together different components for different deals. And so that's what I like the most, actually, is talking to someone and then thinking, what tool in the toolbox am I going to use? Or what tools, what combination of tools am I going to use as a solution for this particular scenario? It's not one size fits all. Um, It's about, you know, getting the most appropriate tool or the most appropriate tools for the job at hand. And uh, that gives me a lot of fun. Um, I don't know why I'm laughing about that. But yeah, I really enjoy financial engineering. So there we go. That's the introduction to uh, finding funds. Um, I think we could delve a little bit more into it, especially if we want to talk about private finance and how to do that, what sort of strategies and techniques, where to go. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to defer that until we have the panel discussion. So we've got a few people who have raised funds privately. Obviously, I have myself. We're going to have a chat about that next week. So there's an introduction today. And next week, we're going to have a panel discussion. We'll probably dive a little bit more into different types of financing and uh, private finance in particular. So there we go. So if you would like the show notes, head over to the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Uh, If you'd like that cheat sheet that I talked about, the 50-odd types of finance, uh, institutional, alternative, and creative, um, drop me a line, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. If you want to talk about anything to do with uh, um, this this, property core skills uh, series or finding finance in particular, then uh, reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. But I guess all that remains now is to say thanks very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice Podcast, it's Chacha. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice Podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.